going to consider the word of the Lord this morning as we find it in Matthew chapter 18. In this chapter, the Lord teaches us about the kingdom of heaven. We're going to begin reading at verse 10 and continue through verse 20. In verse 10, we find the parable of the lost sheep. And then from verses 15 to 20, we find sort of the prominent uh, passage dealing with discipline in the church and discipline in a larger sense in our lives. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, It will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we're going to consider God's word and... In the light of Lord's Day 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answers 83, 84, and 85. Question and answer 83, what are the keys of the kingdom? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline toward repentance. Both preaching and discipline open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close it to unbelievers. How does preaching the gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring to each and every believer that as often as he accepts the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of what Christ has done, truly forgives all his sins. 
The kingdom of heaven is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, the anger of God and eternal condemnation rests on them. God's judgment, both in this life and in the life to come, is based on this gospel testimony. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by Christian discipline? According to the command of Christ, if anyone, though called a Christian, professes unchristian teachings or lives an unchristian life, if after repeated brotherly counsel he refuses to abandon his error and wickedness, and if after being reported to the church, that is, to its officers, he fails to respond also to their admonition, such a one the officers exclude from the Christian fellowship by withholding the sacraments from him, and God himself excludes him from the kingdom of Christ. Such a person, when he promises and demonstrates genuine reform, is received again as a member of Christ and of his church. Congregation beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, What if I were to ask the boys and girls this morning, could you tell me two or three things that you know your dad has taken with him to church? Now I suspect you'd think about that for a minute and you'd say, well, one of the things my dad always carries with him is his wallet. Gotta have a wallet to carry your money or your credit cards in. So he probably has a wallet on him. Some of you might say, well, my dad uses his cell phone quite a bit. It's not really necessary, but he takes it along with him wherever he goes. But there is one thing that is absolutely necessary, isn't there? And that is your dad probably has his car keys or keys in his pocket because if you forget your keys it's like forgetting your shoes you're not going to get anywhere you need a key to start a car you need a key to lock a house you need a key to open the door of the house we need keys we don't live without having keys I remember one time I forgot my key coming home and the door was locked and I ended up crawling through an open window like I was a criminal or a thief. We need to carry keys. Now when the Lord Jesus Christ came, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Now a kingdom is is a group of people who acknowledge a king. 
They live usually in a geographic area like, for example, England is officially called the United Kingdom because there's Scotland and Wales and, and England. And, and, and so that's the kingdom and they acknowledge the queen to be their ruler, their leader. And so also it is with Christ's kingdom. That is to say, if you are going to be a citizen of the kingdom, one of the things you have to do is look to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom, you have to look to him for your salvation. You have to trust in him. Now, some of you may say, well, how do I get into this kingdom? How am I going to be a part of this kingdom? And the answer to that is twofold. You got to have the keys. You got to have the keys. And the key is used for two things. On the one hand, it can open a door. It can open a door. On the other hand, it can close the door and lock the door. So a door lets you in by virtue of using the key, or a door locks you out by virtue of using the key. And so it is with Christ's kingdom. That is to say, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, is opened when God's word is faithfully preached. It's opened when we hear the word of God. And so when we gather for church on Sunday, week after week, one of the most significant parts of worship is the proclamation of the word. And the example for that was set by our Lord Jesus Christ himself when he went about preaching. When he went about preaching and proclaiming that in him the kingdom of God is at hand. And the importance of preaching was so significant that it eclipsed everything else. We see that at the end of Mark chapter 1. There's an interesting little account of, of a leper coming to Christ, and he says, Lord, will you make me well again? Will you cure me of this leprosy? And the Lord says, because of your faith, I will, I will. And he, he heals the man, he heals the lepers. But then, but then Mark says something very interesting. Christ says to this leper, he says, and he sternly rebukes him, strictly rebukes him. And he doesn't rebuke him, but he instructs him. He says, now I've healed you, but don't you tell anyone. Don't you tell anyone. Well, the leper, of course, can't keep his mouth shut and he leaves and he's telling the whole world what has happened to him. And when we look at that passage, we think, why in the world did Christ say to him, keep your mouth shut, don't say anything to anybody? 
And the reason for that was because Christ was going to the towns and villages around Galilee. And when word spread about the fact that he could heal this leper, the crowds thronged toward him so that he couldn't even get into the town to preach. He had to stay out in the countryside. And why did these throngs come to him? Well, they came to him to be healed. And the problem was they didn't come to hear the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. Preaching was more important even than being healed. And so when we look at this passage that we have before us in the scripture, we see that it speaks of Christian discipline. And that discipline very often is thought of in terms of church discipline. But the fact of the matter is, it applies to all of our lives. You know, Christ was known as a rabbi. It's one of the titles he had. And the word rabbi means teacher. And what were his followers known as? They were known as disciples. They were learners. They were those who were being discipled, who were being disciplined, who were being taught. And so also it is in the kingdom of God. If we are to be citizens of the kingdom, we must understand that kingdom living involves kingdom learning. And that can only take place when we pay attention to what God's word teaches. You cannot separate the Christian life strictly in terms of one's feelings, one's having warm feelings towards Jesus without also saying but who is Christ? How can we know of him? And that is to be found only and exclusively in the word of God and in the proclamation of that word. So boys and girls, it's important that you're here today. In fact, this is the most important time of the week. It's the most important time of the week when God's people gather for worship and when they gather around his word. And why is that? So that we may know of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Heidelberg Catechism says, that's the first key of the kingdom, the preaching of the Holy Gospel. The preaching of the Holy Gospel. And what, is the, what does the preaching of the Holy Gospel entail? Well, it entails, first of all, a call to repentance. That's why, as I noted earlier in the service, we read the law or we have a time of confession. It is a call to repentance. To say, I need a Savior. 
And that is an understanding that has to be impressed on us every day of our lives. Because we all, all tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And we all think that somehow we can contribute to our salvation if I do this or that or some other thing. That was the sin of the Pharisees. They thought they were righteous in themselves. So the first key of the kingdom is the preaching of the gospel. But there's a second key to the kingdom, and that key is Christian discipline, Christian discipline. Now, when we think of discipline, we have to realize that it's not exactly a comfortable subject to deal with. It's not an easy subject to deal with because we don't like discipline. And yet our lives would be horrendous without discipline, wouldn't they? I mean, if you want to accomplish anything you have to be discipled in it. If you want to learn to read, you have to memorize the alphabet. And if you want to learn to play a musical instrument, you have to realize you've got to know the notes. And you have to practice, practice, practice. That's just the way it is. These are the disciplines of life. If you want to learn about life, you have to go to school. If you want to learn about how to do anything, there has to be a time of instruction. And in a sense, this whole life we live here on earth is for the Christian a preparatory school for eternal life. And so we have to accept the disciplines of life that God sends our way. And so we're going to consider, if you're going to consider discipline, you have to consider the source of discipline. It goes back to the very beginning of human history. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They fell into sin. And how were they disciplined? Well, they were expelled from the Garden of Eden because they could not live or tolerate life in the presence of God. That was the first, the first example of discipline in the scriptures. And so the source of discipline is God. God disciplines us. It comes from God. And God applies that discipline through the proclamation of his word. He tells us, he tells us how we are to live. And that is a great blessing. It's a great blessing. You know, we don't think of it as such. But discipline, correction, 
has a goal, and that goal is repentance. It's change in our lives. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He disciplines. In fact, the Bible says if a father doesn't discipline his children, doesn't discipline his son, he doesn't love them. You can even see that, for example, in the parable of the, of the, uh, the prodigal son. Huh? The son is a rebellious son, and he's in his father's house, and he's sick and tired of it. Working in his father's house, he sees life in the world, and he says, now that's where I want to go. And finally, the discipline of his father breaks down, and the father says, you want to go there? Okay, here's your inheritance. Go ahead. And he goes and lives in the world and finds out the disciplines of the world. And he loses his money, his inheritance. And, and finally he ends up in a pigsty feeding the pigs. And the pigs are eating better than he is. He says, even the servants are far better off in my father's house. And, and he experiences the disciplines of the world apart from his father's house. And he returns and he's in repentance uh, I've sinned against you, Father. I realize that now. I understand. I have been disciplined. And so when we look at discipline, we realize that it goes to the very beginning of human history. And it, it is good for our souls and it is good for society. You know, the disciplines of life, when they are not exhibited in the family, will be exhibited uh, in society. I mean, every weekend now in the summer, you, you look at the, the paper on Monday and there will be a list of, you know, how 46 shootings and 17 deaths this weekend in, in the city of Chicago. And, and you say, there's no discipline in their lives. They haven't been instructed. What's going on with these gangbangers? Well, they have been raised without discipline. They haven't experienced the blessings of parents that care for them. I remember many years ago, when we first moved to California, a young couple came from Michigan to visit us, stopped by our house in California. And, and so uh, they had some children, and children had been riding a long time in the car, and they wanted to run off a little exercise and steam. And so we, I was talking to uh, the young father in the, in the parking lot, <clears throat> And the oldest son, maybe seven years old, or he was kind of picking on the younger ones. And I noticed his father looked at him, and he didn't get the message. And it kept it up, and the father uh, stopped again, and he, he said, Johnny, cut it out, wagged his finger at him. Well, Johnny still didn't get the message. Finally, his father said, Johnny, come here. 
and he took him by the arm and he went behind the garage. And I don't know what happened to Johnny behind the garage, whether he got a good stern talking to or maybe he got a little swat. But I did know one thing, that when Johnny came back from being behind the garage, he wasn't teasing his brothers and sisters anymore. The father had settled the matter. And then the father came up to me, and he shook his head and he says, You know, I hate doing that. I hate doing that. And I said, Doug... That's what it means to be a father. Sometimes you got to do these things, you know. The Bible says God takes no delight and no pleasure in the death of the wicked. A father disciplines his children. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And so, when we look at discipline, we realize that it's a great blessing. And how is it to be administered? Well, it is administered certainly in our homes, in the schools, in society, and also in the church. Discipline begins at home. Discipline begins at home. And, and certainly, it continues throughout all our lives. I, re I remember one time talking to a lady in California in our church. And uh, we were talking about this subject. And she said, kind of jokingly, she said, you know, she says, I'm 45 years old, I've got five kids, I'm married, I've got five kids of my own. But if I'm not in church on Sunday night, I know that at 8 o'clock that phone will ring and it'll be my mom on the phone and she's going to say, where were you? Well, that's the discipline of a mother, concerned about her daughter. I don't care if she's 45, I don't care if she's got five kids. She's still my daughter. Why weren't you in church? Where were you? And so discipline begins at home. But it's also carried out in the school. It's also carried out in, in the various societal interactions that we have in life. And it also is carried out in the church. You know, this passage that we have before us tells us about discipline, and it's very interesting. If your brother offends you, what are you going to do about it? Well, the Bible says the first thing you do in Matthew chapter 18, you keep the circle narrow. You don't gossip about it to everybody, and their uncle said, you know what he did to me? You go around and you go privately to him. First of all, you go to him, your brother, and you say, you know, what you did was not right. If your brother says, you're right, I, I apologize, I'll make it right. 
Well, then you've gained a brother. If he doesn't listen to you, the second step is you take a couple of witnesses along. Two or three people. Again, the circle becomes a little wider. And you say, these are the charges I have. This is the complaint I have against you. Did you do this or not? And if he says, yes, I did, I'm sorry, I'll make it right. Well, then the matter is settled. But if your brother doesn't listen to that or your friend or neighbor, then you bring it to the church. Bring it to the officers of the church. And if they agree with you and say you're right, and they go and approach this person that has wronged you, and he says, I'm not listening to you. Well, now the elders come with the authority of God's word, with the authority of the church. And if they don't listen to the elders, the Bible says, Christ himself says, then this person should be treated as an unbeliever, as an outcast. You see, then the door is locked. You're not coming into the kingdom. You're not allowed in here. And when we look at that, we say, well, that's a terrible thing, and it is. It's a terrible thing. But discipline in its finest sense, hopefully, leads to repentance. You know, someone said the purpose of discipline is, first of all, to bring outsiders in. People see how these Christians live, and I want to be part of that. Secondly, it's to cast out those who don't believe. Thirdly, it's to keep the church faithful. Keep those inside who belong inside and who are tempted to go out. And last of all, it keeps outside those who belong outside. So why do we have discipline? What is discipline for? Well, it's to protect the kingdom, to protect God's kingdom. And why is it often ignored? Well, it's often ignored because it's not easy. Even though it's one of the marks of the church, it's not easy. You know, one of the questions when young people make profession of faith, do you promise to submit to the admonition and discipline of the church when you make profession of faith? Discipline is built into the very promises that you make when you make profession of faith. And yet it, it offends people. Or you'll hear, well, you can't judge a person's heart. We can't read a person's heart. And that's true, we can't. But we can see how they act and how they behave. 
because out of the heart comes the issues of life. By their fruits ye shall know them. And some may say, well, you know, discipline has no place in our private lives. That's none of the church's business. But how we live our lives privately usually becomes public. And when we bring shame upon the cause of Christ by our actions, then others will say, well, he goes to that church. If they have him as a member, I don't think I really want to go there. So if you are to apply discipline, we must apply it biblically. It should be applied humbly, not with a holier-than-thou attitude. You know, George Whitefield once said when he was on, a, on the road and there saw a chain gang of prisoners uh, working on the highway or working in the field, he, he looked at them and he said, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. Discipline ought to be applied humbly. And it should be applied faithfully. It's a mark of the church. The good shepherd, uh, this passage tells us, he went out. That one lost sheep was lost and he went out looking for it. It should be applied in a spirit of forgiveness, a willingness or a desire to forgive. And it should be applied rightly, privately, with some witnesses, and finally, with the church. And so what finally is the end of discipline? Well, we mentioned a few things briefly. The end of discipline is for the honor of Christ. We are defending Christ's kingdom. It is for the integrity of the church. But finally, and perhaps most importantly, it is for the restoration of the sinner, so that the sinner may be restored, so that there may be repentance, so that there may be change. You know, in a sense, when that door is locked and excommunication takes place, that really represents the failure of discipline. Because at every step of life, when discipline is applied, when we are discipled, either by parents or teachers or by the circumstances of life, when we are discipled by the, the proclamation of the gospel and we don't receive it, and we don't hear it, and we don't pay attention to it, well then these disciplines of life have failed. But when there is true repentance, when there is true repentance, then the Bible tells us something very significant happens, not only in our lives, but also in heaven itself. 
Because when there is repentance, even the angels in heaven rejoice. And so, people of God, wherever God has placed us in our lives, as servants of our Lord Jesus Christ, whether we are teachers or whether we are students, whether we administer, whether we are parents, whether we are children, the Lord calls us to be faithful in administering discipline, but the Lord calls us also to be faithful as disciples, as disciples in, in being disciplined ourselves. And so may God grant us his grace and help us according to his word to be faithful citizens of the kingdom. Amen. O oh Lord our God, we give thanks for your word. And we give thanks too for the wonderful gift that has been given to us in Christ in whom we may be made citizens of your kingdom. So make us worthy citizens, O Lord. May we hear your word and may we respond to that word by your grace. May we respond to it in true faith and in obedience and in lives of Christian service. For we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.